Good afternoon. It is so good to be here in Amman. So I have a question. Who here is an entrepreneur today? Anybody? Okay, one. Anybody else? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, five's pretty good. Six, five. Who wants to be an entrepreneur? Maybe. Okay, good. Everybody should want to be an entrepreneur. I feel like, what's the downside of saying you want to be? Um, and how, are, are, how many people here are interested in social entrepreneurship? Okay. So we have a good mix of different types of people. Awesome. So today I'm going to tell you about this experience I had, this um, idea I came up with, which is called person entrepreneurship. I want to just tell you basically how I came up with the idea, um, how I've applied it in my own life, and hopefully I can also give you some starts, some tips on how you can do this for yourself. Because this was something, I was not an entrepreneurial person at all. In fact, when I graduated from college, I went to Georgetown University, which I know we have lots of ties here to Jordan. Um, in fact, the Crown Prince just graduated, I, I heard. So um, I went to Georgetown and then I went and worked on Wall Street. And I went every day with my tie to the office and I worked in a cubicle on the 49th floor. And then I went to Harvard Business School and then I went back and worked at another finance firm, again, to the cubicle every day. And I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was pretty happy not being an entrepreneur. But then in 2008, my company blew up in the global financial crisis and I started looking around and thinking about entrepreneurship as a way to totally change the way I built my career. But I was afraid of doing it full time and so I found a way to do it part time. And now, uh, about five, six years later, I've invested or become a shareholder or started more than 20 different companies and projects and in all kinds of different industries from investments in technology to real estate to even investment in a play that's going to open in London next year. And it's been an amazing experience and that's what I decided to turn into a book. Um, so as Kayla mentioned, my claim to fame is that I invented the term FOMO or fear of missing out. And it's, I guess I heard that it's somewhat popular in Jordan. It's big in the United States. If you Google it, there are five million hits, believe it or not. And I um, basically came up with this idea because when I was in graduate school um, at Harvard, I was in a competitive place. Everybody wants to win everything all the time. It's a very type A personality. And I was one of these people who was competitive socially. I wanted to go to every party, go on every trip, do every job interview, go to every lecture, participate in everything I could. And so I found that my schedule was packed from seven in the morning until midnight every day. And um, this was before Facebook, which is crazy. And now with Facebook, we can see what people are doing all the time, right? You can see who's on holiday, who is at a better restaurant than you, who's at the party you didn't get invited to. And we feel this fear of missing out. And so I felt this when I was in business school, and I wrote an article for our school newspaper about the fear of missing out. And it was the first time that it was ever used on the internet. Um, it was actually three years until somebody used it again. And then years later, somebody wrote an article about the fact that I had created this term. And so it became sort of my calling card and people wanted to talk to me about it. And, and it was this sort of stress that I had. But I was not the only one because with Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and everything else that we all use, everybody now has FOMO. It's actually, we live in generation FOMO. We live in a time of great connectivity, overload of information, ability to see the opportunities that are out there, 
And thanks to the internet, the ability to actually do a lot of the things we could have never done in the past. Before the internet, it wasn't like you could go on the phone and find out what people were doing on a daily basis in Paris or Tokyo or New York or Dubai. Now you can, and you know what the world is outside of the phone. And we're also all connected. My, my cab driver yesterday from the Dead Sea to Amman told me that he met a person on Facebook and moved to the United States for six months, believe it or not. Um, so we're connected in ways that we were never before. And Generation FOMO is damaging in some ways to our psyche and to our mentality. And this is really playing out with millennials. 90% of millennials do not intend to stay in a job for more than three years because they see the opportunities outside and they're not willing to commit and say, I'm going to stay here, keep my head down, and work in a job for 30 years like my mother or my father did, right? And at the same time, about a quarter of millennials are actually influenced by FOMO when they're making decisions about what they're going to do in terms of activities and experiences. And it's something that actually weighs on people's heads and it causes stress and depression and uncertainty. And for me, I always feel like when I, every time I look at Facebook, like I'm missing out on the world around me and maybe I'm not doing enough or I should be doing more. And so that also plays into our careers. So when I, as I told you, my company blew up in 2008, I was working at a company called AIG, American International Group. And if you might remember, it was the company that the US government actually took over in the financial crisis and we were nationalized. And I thought I was doing great. I'd gone to Harvard Business School and I was, you know, working on Park Avenue and everything was going well. And then I woke up the next day and my stock had fallen 97% and my bonus was taken by the US government. And I was like, pretty shocked, right? It was not what I expected out of life and I didn't know what to do. And so I thought to myself, here I am sitting here watching all these other people. I have friends who work at Facebook. People are starting companies. What's going on here? How do I fight back against the FOMO I feel now that I realize that my career is going nowhere? And so for me and for a lot of people, the answer is entrepreneurship, becoming a full-time entrepreneur, starting a company. Because we look around the world today and we see all these people in the world of technology. And it may be here in Jordan, or it may be that you watched the Facebook movie and you saw, I mean, when I watched the Facebook movie, I basically felt poor the entire time, right? You've got these people starting companies that become billion dollar companies. You look at the news, Elon Musk. I mean, it's all this world of entrepreneurship that looks so exciting. And yet on the outside, if, you're, if you haven't been in that world or if you're in the corporate world, then you wonder like, how am I gonna do this? And we had some social entrepreneurs here, right? So social entrepreneurs, um, have a passion and an idea they want to change the world. Maybe you have a project that's going to help refugees. Maybe you have a project that's going to bring medical care to people, right? But if you're sitting in the world of the corporate life and you have this passion, you may want to do this, but you have no idea how to get started, where you're going to get the money, how, which idea is going to work, how are you going to build a team. And so as you think about entrepreneurship, whether it be corporate entrepreneurship or whether it be social entrepreneurship, that can really seem like a great way to solve your FOMO. And in fact, we live in a time where entrepreneurship is more accessible than it has ever been in history, I would say. Why is that? Well, the cost of starting a new business has gone down. We have all these technologies, all these tools that are basically free that didn't exist a generation ago. So when I started my career, I started my career as a venture capitalist in the year 1999. And I remember investing in a company and the company's website, just to build the basic website, 
was about fifty to hundred thousand dollars. How much does it cost to build a website today? Maybe five hundred. If you use, if you, do you guys have Squarespace here? It's like two ninety nine a month um, in dollar terms. So I guess that's like one fifty dirham um, or a little bit more. Um, think about email. These original companies, I remember we would spend thousands of dollars building out an email system. Today, all you do is sign up for Google and it's free. Storage, one gigabyte of storage cost $8,000 in the year 2000. Today, with Dropbox, it's basically free. And so you have all these tools from Facebook where you can, you can, you can uh, get clients and market your business to Twitter where you can get PR to uh, Skype, which basically allows you to call people for free. It used to be that it was three or $4 per minute to call other parts of the world. With Skype, it's basically WhatsApp, right? Think about how that has changed communications. Um, all of these things exist now and are available to entrepreneurs who want to start something. So we could all sit down, come up with an idea, have a website, a Facebook page, maybe even our first client somewhere else in the world within a couple of days. And at the same time, because of that, the cost of financing businesses has gone way down. And so you see on the right there, the arrow going up is angel investment. So I know there is some angel investment here in Jordan, and this is something that certainly will grow. Angel investment is when individuals invest small amounts of money in new ventures. And this in the US has become really popular. Billions of dollars getting invested by hundreds of thousands of people into hundreds of thousands of startups. So all of these things have meant that it's cheaper than ever to start a company and it's e even cheaper to finance that company and you can even go to people that you know in your community to look for money. And that's really powerful. The problem is nobody talks about the dirty little secret of entrepreneurship. And the dirty little secret of entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, for profit entrepreneurship, any kind of entrepreneurship, is that you are more likely than not to fail. So there was a study done at Harvard Business School of about 2,000 startups that had raised at least one round of venture capital. And of that pool of startups, about 70% did not generate the expected returns and roughly a quarter returned nothing at all, right? So as much as like people like to talk about the Elon Musks of the world and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and the millions and the billions they're going to make, most people who start a company fail. And there's nothing wrong with that. When you do something new that's never been done before, chances are that you're going to hit some roadblocks. And it's okay to fail. That is the process of being an entrepreneur. But if you've never failed before, if you've never worked in a startup before, if you don't realize that these are the odds and then you start a company, it can be a very difficult process to learn how difficult it is. And so as I thought about entrepreneurship after my experience, I started looking around me and learning about these things and I got kind of scared. And I thought to myself, do I really want to be a full-time entrepreneur? And so today I wanna to give you permission to not be a full-time entrepreneur, okay? This is, there's all this pressure, entrepreneurship, right? I wanna give you, don't worry about it. Let me tell you the five reasons why I don't think you should be a full-time entrepreneur. And this is very, by the way, people in Silicon Valley, half of them agree with me and the other half wanna kill me. Um, the first, the lifestyle and the pay are lousy, okay? Founders have higher divorce rates, higher depression rates, you work all the time, okay? You love what you're doing, but like, it's a very punishing lifestyle, okay? And so it goes on forever too. It's not like this is like a year and you're done. This is something that you will be doing for years and years and years. Number two, it can ruin your finances, okay? So the average startup in New York City, 
the average startup CEO, say like you're an investment, so investment bankers make a couple hundred thousand dollars, New York's very expensive to live, startup founder will make about $50,000, which is a significant pay cut. Now, you know, it's not, a, it's not an inconsiderable amount of money, but when you consider the cost of living in New York City, that means you're not gonna be living in the apartment you used to live in. And in fact, the other thing about this people don't think about is that the average startup takes seven years to go from start to finish, from starting it to selling it. So even if you make a big payday at the end of the day, it's not gonna happen overnight. It will take years of hard work. And in the meantime, you may be living off your credit cards, you may have to move in with your parents. You get up every morning and you find that your mother is telling you like, I, I made breakfast for you and here you are at 43 years old and you thought maybe you'd have your own house by that point. But it could be nice, my mom is a good cook. Three, you're abandoning status and affirmation. So when you go from college to working in the government to working in a large corporation, people know who you are. Oh, that's Patrick, he works at uh, Microsoft. Oh, that's, uh, that's you know, uh, Jafar, he's a lawyer. And all of a sudden you're working for a startup nobody's ever heard of, and your grandmother is asking you, I thought you were successful. Why, why are you working at this company I've never heard of? Like, why aren't you working at the law firm anymore? And it can be really hard, actually. It sounds a bit silly, but I can tell you, it really, people, they, it really hits their confidence. The fourth, you don't have the right idea yet. 80% of successful entrepreneurs, according to Inc. Magazine, find their idea while working in a previous job. So you may someday want to be a full-time entrepreneur, but you haven't found the right idea yet. It will come to you, but until it comes, better to wait. And finally, failure sucks. It's no fun to fail. We've all failed at something. We learn from failure, it makes us better, but if you put three to five years into a project, your life savings, you sacrifice day in and day out and you, and you fail, and I've seen people who did this, it's, it's just, it just sucks. Um, and there's no other way to say that. So you may not wanna go through that. And so that's the five reasons not to be a full-time entrepreneur. And so what do I recommend? I didn't wanna go through those things. I didn't feel that I could be a full-time entrepreneur and so I decided to become a 10% entrepreneur. And a 10% entrepreneur is somebody who spends at least 10% of their time and if possible, 10% of their money starting, investing in, and or advising companies while keeping their day job. So basically the idea is you have these dreams, you have these ideas, but you're gonna keep your day job and do these things on the side as a way to start new projects and get exposure to entrepreneurship. And in fact, that's exactly what I did. I started doing that bit by bit by bit until eventually I had over 20 different projects. So I wanna tell you about the five types of 10% entrepreneurs and give you some stories to give you an example of how this works. So the first is the advisor. And an advisor is somebody who invests their time in exchange for ownership in a company. So we always think about angel investors, people who invest their money to be part of an owner in a company, and that's great but maybe you don't have the money to invest in a company, or maybe you're a little bit afraid and you're thinking, ah, I'm not so sure I wanna take that risk. So the advisor is somebody who invests their expertise. It could be building a website, it could be building a logo, it could be giving advice on a marketing plan, it could be coming up with a financial model, it could be making introductions to clients. For example, a friend of mine came to me one day and he said, Patrick, I'm starting this new company and um, I'm trying to figure out what I should do. I just love to talk to you about it. So we sat down and we had coffee 
And you know, I said, his name is Sukin. And I said, you know, Sukin, that's really interesting. I met this guy last week. He's looking for stuff to do. He's super smart. You guys should just get together. Like, go have a coffee. So these guys went to a coffee shop, a Dunkin' Donuts, in fact, not even a coffee shop, a Dunkin' Donuts in New York City. And unbeknownst to me, they became business partners. They started a company together. And a month later, I got an email with a stock certificate for shares in their company. Two minutes of my time, and now I'm an owner in their business. And by the way, it's doing very well. So that's the kind of thing that you can do. Another thing, um, great example of an advisor is a friend of mine uh, was starting a company. And does everybody here use YouTube? Are we all fans of YouTube? Yes? So he wanted to work with YouTube celebrities to promote products. So you, know, you have all these people who get millions of people watching their channel. And he would have them actually say like, oh, um, check out this cool video. And then it would be from like a brand. And we basically went to the brands and we went to the YouTube celebrities and we made a matching and we put together a little business and it did okay. And I helped him on part time a couple hours here and there and he gave me some stock in his company. And then one day, it didn't really take off. We ended up, he ended up buying the stock back from me. But I got the experience of being an owner in a business that I'd never been before. I made a little bit of money and I had nothing to lose. All I really did was learn. And so that's what the advisor is. And that story is a great story because my friend who started the YouTube company got me to my second type of 10% entrepreneurship, which is the angel. As I mentioned before, the angel is somebody who writes a check. They invest in a business. So this same friend, the one from the YouTube, his name is Marcelo, he called me up one day and he said, I'm doing another business with YouTube and I want you to consider investing. I'm going to work with one really famous YouTube celebrity. Her name is Michelle Fan, and she puts makeup on. Has anybody ever heard of Michelle? You should check it out, it's very interesting. She has millions of followers, over a billion people have visited her site on YouTube. And he started a cosmetics company with her. And he said, do you want to invest? And I was really nervous, but I said, you know what, I'm gonna take 10% of my savings, why not? So I wrote a check, not the entire 10%, but a little bit of the 10%. I sent it off to him, my hand was shaking when I signed the check, I felt sick to my stomach. And I thought, I will never see this money again. But there you go. Makeup makes money. And in fact, four years later, the company is doing nearly $400 million in sales. It has uh, about 2.5 million subscribers. And it's the best investment I'll ever make in my life. Exactly. And a really, so yeah, we should, we should sign you up. After all, I'll give you a discount code. <laughs> And so that's what an angel is, investing in other people's companies. Um, next is the founder. So this is my, I, have a, I, I had a, a really special um, meeting last week. I met somebody really cool from Jordan when I was in Beirut. Um, has anybody ever heard of a person called Zaid Husban? Yeah. Okay, Zaid. Can we talk about Zaid? So I was at the Endeavor um, meeting in Zaid. In, in, in Beirut, and we selected Zaid as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an Endeavor entrepreneur. And his story really meant something to me because Zaid started a company called iFood.jo and did very well with it. They sold it to Delivery Hero. And then he had a period where he had to continue working there. But he had an idea for his next business. So on the side, he started that business, got it all prepared, all set up, started working on it, built his team all on the side, all on the side. His last day at iFood.jo, he left and joined his new company called Pos Rocket. 
So he did this, I mean, he started this company as a founder. A founder is somebody who has a day job but starts a company on the side. He set everything up and then he, when it was ready to go, he was able to join them full time. He's raised people today, he's an Endeavor entrepreneur. He's got offices here in Jordan and in Egypt. And he's done this in a way that basically like, he really minimized his chance of failure by starting on the side, testing it, making sure it worked, and then going in full time. Um, so he's my favorite Jordanian entrepreneur but I'm sure I'll meet some more while I'm here. Next is the aficionado. And this, I think, a lot of times um, is one that people would think of as not necessarily being an entrepreneur. But in fact, this can encompass your passions in terms of art or music. It can encompass your passions in terms of social entrepreneurship. And the aficionado is somebody who starts a business on the side. They are a 10% entrepreneur but they do this to explore something they deeply care about. It's not just about building a business, it's about changing the world around them. For example, if there is a charity that you really believe in and you wanna make a difference in the world, getting involved in that charity or starting that charity or helping to be an advisor to that charity. If there is a passion you have, like cooking. Um, I have a good friend who invested his time as an advisor and as an angel in a restaurant and then whenever he wanted, he could cook there. So he would go on Saturday nights and actually cook behind the counter. And he got to experience what it was like to be a cook without quitting his day job. Because being a cook as a full-time job is super hard, right? That, I mean, being a chef is probably the hardest job out there. And he didn't want to do that full-time, but he wanted to have a real experience working in that way. And so this is a great way to explore your passions without leaving your day job. But to do that in an organized way, not just in a one-off, I'm going to do one weekend here, I'm going to do one project there. And finally, for those of you who are already entrepreneurs, the 110% entrepreneur. What is that, right? 110% entrepreneur is somebody who is already an entrepreneur but does projects on the side as a way to diversify themselves and to also get exposure to all the other startups that are out there. Because when you're working in the world of entrepreneurship, you learn all kinds of things that are useful to other people who are getting started. And so this is a great way for you to basically diversify yourself against that risk that you have in that one project. As I mentioned earlier, startups are risky. And if you are doing one startup as an entrepreneur, you want to find a way to spread your bets and get involved in other people's projects. So why do this? Why become a 10% entrepreneur? There's really five reasons I found. I basically, ever since I came up with this idea, I knew why I did it. But what I wanted to know was what other people were doing. And so I basically started talking to 10% entrepreneurs all over the world. And when I wrote the book, I included stories from 10 countries on four continents. So I had stories from Argentina and Brazil and Colombia, from China, from India, from Lebanon, from the UK, from, from the Netherlands, um, from Mexico, so from all over the world. And I talked to all these different people, dozens of people in all kinds of different industries. And I learned that there were really some patterns that emerged. And the first is about diversification. So as I mentioned to you before, when I worked in the corporate world, when my company blew up, my stock fell 97%. And I had never thought that I should ever spread my bets across anything else. Today I have investments in more than 20 different companies. And when something bad happens, when Brexit happened, I thought the market was gonna crash, but I didn't lose sleep that night. When the American election came out in an unexpected way, I thought the market was gonna crash, and I didn't lose sleep that night. Um, because I knew that I had a nice portfolio of different types of companies where I was an owner and where I could actually benefit from these things directly. The next is ownership and upside. 
So all of these projects I tell you about, the things that we're talking about, are things that you would never be able to experience working in your day job. You may love your day job. You may be very happy to go there every day, but you could never get the upside that you would have as an owner in a business that operates outside of it. This is a great way for you to gain access to different types of opportunities that will make you money over time. The third, it makes life more interesting. There's nothing more depressing than seeing somebody get up every day, go to the office, sit there all day, super bored, Facebook, 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 go home, right? Where all of us are much more than what it says in our business card, right? We're people that have different ideas, different experiences. We can all contribute something different to the world. Your skills, and you may not even realize it, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but everybody here, I promise you, and if you want, you can even ask me, tell me about yourself and I'll tell you how, everybody here can get involved in an entrepreneurial venture in one way or another, I promise you. Four, it makes you better at your day job. So we live in a time of massive change, right? Companies are changing quickly. In fact, there's a statistic that kind of blew my mind that 52% of the companies that were in the S&P 500 in the year 2000 no longer exist. So literally the world is changing so quickly. Companies are disappearing overnight. Even companies that are new, like a Yahoo, are no longer with us, right? So companies need to be entrepreneurial. They need to be innovative to survive. And they need their employees to be innovative, they to think like innovators. But the reality is, you can read 100 books on innovation and not know how to think like an entrepreneur. The only way to know how to think like an entrepreneur is to actually do the work of an entrepreneur. And when you're a 10% entrepreneur, you're taking responsibility yourself for learning that process. And finally, you may someday want to be a full-time entrepreneur, right? I maybe gave you some reasons not to do it, but there are plenty of reasons to do it. But if you've been a 10% entrepreneur, you know you have a sense for what it takes, what is required, what you must do to succeed. And in fact, the statistics prove this out, that if you are a part-time entrepreneur before going full-time, you will be more successful. In fact, people who start something on the side before going full-time are 33% less likely to fail, which means 50% more successful than people who go and do something straight away full-time. And why is that? Because when you jump in full-time, like say tomorrow, I'm like, I have a great idea. I'm gonna go compete with Zaid, which would be crazy, by the way, because he'll kill me. But I'm gonna compete with Zaid and start another company. Okay, so I somehow get somebody to give me $100,000. So I basically have $100,000 to spend. If I can't make it during that time, it's game over. I gotta go find another job. So you have a lot of pressure. You have a limited amount of resources. And by the way, I'm also probably not making very much money and I have to pay the bills, I have, you know, I've got to buy food for my family, I've got to pay my rent, all of these other things. So there's tremendous pressure on me to succeed in a very short amount of time. But the thing about entrepreneurship is, it's like being in a laboratory. You're mixing different chemicals, you're trying this, you're trying that. You may have success day one, you may not have success until day 472. You just don't know. And so if you do this while you have a stable day, day job, you can test these things out, figure them out while you have income coming in. And yes, you may move a little bit slower, but everything you're doing will be so much more sustainable. And so, I just wanna spend a little time before wrapping up, and then I love your questions. I wanna spend a little time on actually how to do this, right? I wanna give you guys sort of practical tips on how to get started. And the first thing I wanna do is tell you 
that I have a free ebook, so you can download like a bunch of exercises that I'll talk about in this section. If you go to my website, patrickmcginnis.com, and I think it's on the last page, but it's slash build your 10. Download this ebook, tons of exercises. You can actually get get started today and probably be in business by next week. Um, people tell me it works. So how do you actually do this? So I really kind of, what I tried to do, when I did this, I didn't, I didn't have a process. Like I did it in a very disorganized way. I basically spent three years trying things, failing, trying things, failing. And then after that period of time, I looked back and said, okay, what did I actually do here? And I figured out that I had actually basically followed a pretty standardized process. And the process has three big parts. The first is figuring out your resources. The second is having a clear investment decision process. And the third is leveraging your network. So I want to go into each of those. So talking about your resources. So the way I look at it, there are really three resources that you can invest in your 10%. The first is time. How much time can you commit? So if you have tons and tons of time, say you are a student and you have a lot of flexibility, or say you're at home with a family, you're taking care of your family, or say you're retired, or say you lost your job, who knows? Um, if you've got tons of time, then you can kind of do whatever you want. You could be an investor, you could be an advisor, you could be a founder. If you have zero time, if you've got 14 kids and you're working 37 hours a week, and then you have a second job where you work another 37 hours a week, you don't have a lot of time. And so that means you're gonna to have to make some decisions about what you're gonna do. Being a founder, starting something by yourself, probably doesn't make sense. But being an advisor where you trade your talents, maybe you make a couple connections like I did, send that one email, or maybe if you have the capital, you can invest it. That could be something that's available to you. The reality is these things change. You may have no time this year and tons of time next year, but it's important to think about your resources that you get going. Second is financial capital. How much money can you invest, if any? So if you have tons of money, say you're loaded, then you can be an angel investor. If you don't have any money, probably doesn't make sense. You could think about being an advisor or a founder. Um, but the good thing about this is when we think about angel investors, and I used to think this, like you need to have millions of dollars in the bank to be an angel investor. And that's simply not true. It is so cheap to start companies today that you can actually, a lot of people go around and get very small amounts of money from their friends and family. And the reality is that those people should become part owners of your company because they're giving you their capital. And you don't need to be super wealthy to be an angel investor. And third, intellectual capital. This is the most important one of all. Time and money, these things change, they come and go, you can affect them. Intellectual capital is the real critical part because the challenge today with startups isn't about how much money you have so much. It's about what's in here. What do you know how to do and what are you good at and what do you like doing? Because what you're good at will help you to be successful and what you like doing will convince you to spend the time and the energy actually doing those things. So for example, I had, you know, I have friends who tell me like, you know, Patrick, I am not, I have no idea what I could do as a 10% entrepreneur. I have, you know, I have no skills. I'm like, okay, what do you do for a living? I'm a biochemical engineer. Like, I feel like I know what you could do. Biochemical engineer related things, right? I mean, there are things, all of us have skills that we may forget that are special. Like if you work in a bank and every day you sit there at a spreadsheet, every day, every day, and everybody around you is on spreadsheets every day, every day, you may forget that building a spreadsheet for a lot of people is very intimidating. 
And it's a very valuable skill that you can trade or contribute to a venture. At the same time, it's not necessarily even about that. I met this guy, he's a US Marine. Super smart guy, super dedicated guy, lots of skills. But he told me his first 10% he got because he held the camera making a video about a startup. He was like, yes, I could have done all these other things, but what they needed from me that day was that I held the camera. And that's the thing about startups. They don't necessarily need high sort of value skills all the time. They need people there to help do all kinds of different things. And so you may even sort of say, well, what can I contribute to a startup? I can tell you, just being there and being part of the team and when somebody says do this, doing it, can be very valuable in a startup environment. Next, the investment process. So how do you choose the things you're going to do? So whether you're going to be a founder of something, an investor in something, or an advisor in something, how do you make the right choices because you know your time is limited. You don't want to waste your time on things that have nothing to do with you. And so what I have found, and this I applied kind of my experience as a venture capitalist, is that there are three criteria. The first is, what is this project? What is the business, right? Whether this is a social enterprise or whether this is a for-profit business, why does this make sense? What is the industry? What is the future? Who are the competitors? Why is this special? The second is the people, whether it's you as the founder or the people you're working with. Are these people competent? Do they have the skills? What are we lacking? Um, do these people share my values? Will they call me back when I call them up on the phone? And finally, your role. So 10% entrepreneurs don't just sit at home. What, this is not about running your career by remote control. You are actively involved. You're, you're doing this because you want to be there, because you find it exciting, because you may be building a bridge to something you're gonna do in the future. And so you wanna make sure that whatever you do, you're involved, you're contributing, you're benefiting, and you're part of a team where you can learn from others, but also teach other people as you go along. And finally, leverage your network. So by definition, you're only using a portion of your time. You're not working full time on these projects. And so to make everything work better, you can leverage the people around you. You can use the people you know to help find opportunities. You can use them to help you figure out whether an opportunity makes sense or not in your due diligence. And you can also use them to actually add value to projects. So for example, I was an advisor to a company um, that was looking for help with a designer. They wanted to redesign their website and they couldn't find anybody who could help them do that. And I happened to know just the perfect guy. I introduced them, they hired him and basically ended up joining them full time. And that's the kind of thing that 10% entrepreneurs do. We help our companies, we help the people around us, we connect everybody we can, and we try to make everything work a little bit better.